Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. God, we are thankful for your word and how it speaks to us. We are thankful for your spirit that uh, moves in our heart and uh, inspires us and leads us and guides us and reminds us of the things that you've said. Lord, we ask that this morning you will remind us of the things that you have said about us and to us, uh, both warnings and encouragement. Pray that we can focus our hearts on you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. From the moment he was born, his father loved him more than the rest of his children. Because when he was born, his father was an old man. And as an old man, he thought, what a gift. I'm an old man and I was given this wonderful son and he loved Love the son. He saw him as a miracle from God. And it's probably a very good thing that he loved him like he did because the young man was going to need it because life was going to throw him quite a bit of twist and turn over the next few years. He wasn't the very youngest in the family. He had a baby brother But he was kind of the baby of the family and had been for quite a while. But right around his 17th birthday, that's when things begin to change for him, for his family, for his brothers. It was common custom for every single male in this time period and in that area to to wear an ankle-length coat It was for function, and even if you didn't wear it, you at least carried it with you. It served as a great blanket or a a pallet you could lay on. You could roll it up and make a pillow. It was functional, plain, very normal-looking garment. But not this guy, not this kid. His dad loved him more. So he made for him a completely different coat. Scripture says, ornate. We say, Joseph in the coat of many colors. And he wore it with pride. You know, he had 10 older brothers. You got 10 older brothers? You get something new? Do you know how you wear that? Like this. Not bad, not bad. They hated him. They knew their dad loved him more. They knew it. The dad did everything except say it. They knew it. Joseph knew it too. I don't know that he would have reminded them often, you know, dad loves me more, right? I do that with my own kids when they're separate. Like, you know what? I love you more than I love you, sister. You do when I get the other one alone. You know what? I love you more than I love your sister. 
You do? Absolutely, I do. Neither one of them believe me. But it's true. Dad could see what was going on, that the brothers were doing this, but Joseph didn't really help the situation because right around the 17th birthday, he came downstairs to breakfast one morning. He sat down at the table and he goes, anybody else sleep weird last night? And all the older brothers like, like, shut up, moron, eat your waffle and move on, you know? He's like, I had a crazy dream last night, crazy dream. Okay, we'll buy What's the crazy dream? Okay, so we're all out working in the fields, right? And every single one of us ha has got a, a sheave of grain, a sheaf of grain, all right? And like all you guys had one and I had one and they were just laying on the ground, right? But I had mine standing up tall like this and then all of yours stood upright and they came over to mine and they all bowed down to mine. Oh, really? Oh, well, whoopity frickin' do. Look at this little moron. Look, you cocky little twit. Eat your waffle before you get beat down. You know? What kind of... He was just like, whoa, whoa, what's everybody angry for? Like, I'm just, I'm just telling you about my dream. Yeah, keep your dreams to yourself. What a weirdo, you know? Very next night, has another dream. Next morning, comes downstairs. Anybody else sleep weird? Oh, dear. Here he goes. This guy and all his... Look, you little dreamer. Nobody cares about it. No, I just want to just tell you this dream. It's cool. All right. Tell us the dream. So I'm in the sky, floating. What a moron. And the sun and the moon all kind of came and circled around me. And then 11 stars came around me, the sun, the moon, 11 stars. You know what they did? They all bowed down to me. It's one thing to hear it here and get that thing in your eye. That When you see somebody who's got that cocky thing about them, you give them that look like, I want to push them down, you know? Like they need shoved down a good one. But when it goes a little bit further and it gets into your heart, Jesus warned against this very thing. Because the transition from the thought to the action is pretty easy. If you hate your brother. If you hate your brother. It's just like murder. And it went from here to here. And for them, it went from hate to murder. You know, dads try to step in and reconcile situations when kids kind of get in that place. We used to do this thing, like you keep fighting, you're going to sit on the couch and hold hands all day. You want that to happen? That's the way it was when we were growing up. I'm not sitting and holding my brother's hand or my sister's hand. Not doing it. Better straighten up. Okay. Okay. Dad looks at the situation. Joseph's not helping himself. The other brothers, they're older. They understand the situation. Dad loves him more. Joseph doesn't help because he keeps rattling on about all these things. And he's so high and mighty. Everybody's going to bow down to him. Dad says, you know what? You know what I think they need? 
I don't, I don't know why we do this, parents. I know it doesn't make any sense at all. You know what I think our kids need when they get in that place? More quality time together, you know? Like, that makes sense. You know what? That's it. You two, outside, go play. He looks at Joseph and he said, I think you need to go help your brothers. He's like, okay. Can I wear my new cool coat? Yeah, wear your coat. <laughs> they see him coming from a mile away in that god-awful coat. They see him. They start doing a little daydreaming of their own. I'm about sick and tired of this guy. Me too. I mean, it's not like dad doesn't have a bunch of sons already. Think you'd miss one? Dude, stop playing. I ain't playing. Dude, we're not, we're not kidding around about we're not kidding around about killing our brother. Who's kidding? Dude, you're serious? 100% serious. Dude, there's got to be another way. Like, yeah, he's a pain in the neck, but you're gonna, really going to kill him? We're going to kill him? We're actually having this conversation? Are you kidding me right now? We're having this conversation about killing our own brother. Like, I'm not doing it. Give me any other option but that. I'm not going to be responsible for his blood. I'm not doing it. There's an empty well right here. We could throw him in it. Take his cool new coat. Shred it to pieces. Dip it in a little goat's blood. Take it back to dad. We don't even have to lie. We don't even have to lie. We take a shredded coat covered in blood back to dad and we throw it on the front porch, put a little tear in our eye, throw a little dirt in there, get a little dust, get a little sniffle going on. We don't even have to lie. He will tell the story himself. Just put it out there and then let him come to his own conclusions. So we're doing this today? Like really today? Joseph makes his way down there. <laughs> What's up, guys? How's it going? Come here, Joe. We want to talk to you. Come here, Joe. There's a bucket fell down in the bottom of this well. You see it down here? Hey, don't get your coat dirty, Joe. Just check it out. Can you reach the rope? It's just right there. It's almost there. Can you... Can you Guys, guys, that's not funny. Guys, that's not funny. Guys? About that time this caravan of gypsies come by on their way to Egypt. Cooler heads begin to prevail. You know what? That's not really cool. They can't. Like somebody could walk along and hear it. They could hear him holler and they could, he could, what if he digs his way out and he tells on us? You know, this is in the middle of the desert. He's in the bottom of a dry well. We're going to... Is there a worse way to die? Dude, I'm not letting this happen. One brother says, I can't, I can't do this. Get him out. Well, what else are we going to do? This guy causes us anguish every single day, reminds us constantly that we're not good enough, that we're not loved by our dad like he's loved by our dad. What are we supposed to do? Somebody says, we could sell him. Which, you'd be lying if you hadn't thought that about one of your own siblings before. Hmm? I wonder how much I could get for this little idiot, you know? 
and they do. They sell him. He's gone. They take the coat that's been shredded to pieces, covered in goat's blood, back to their father, and they throw it before him, and the father is destroyed by the story. Surely my son was, was attacked by a ferocious beast. And they just... <sighs> Joseph ends up on the sale block. Purchased by a man named Potiphar. He's in charge of the military, captain of the guard. He knows a strong man when he sees one. He walks by. You know what? This is Hebrew. I'll take him. He brings him into his own home. But here's the thing. God was always with him. God was with him in his circumstances, in the betrayal God was with him. And everything Joseph touched turned to gold. Everything he set out to do in Potiphar's house ran more smoothly. Everybody was impressed by everything that he did, his organizational skills, how he managed people. Everybody loved him. In fact, everybody loved him so much, Potiphar came in and looked at him and he said, you know what, look, here's the deal. I'm the captain of the guard. I have a lot of great men who are under me. I don't trust any of them like I trust you. From this point forward, you will run everything in my estate. Everything. Whatever I would say to do and whatever you would say to do should be heard with the same ears. That's your level in my house. And God was with him. And everything Joseph touched was perfect. And God blessed him and raised him up through the ranks from the boy who sweeps the front, the front steps to the guy who manages all of the butlers and all of the housekeepers. But you know what happens when you get a little powerful? There's this weird thing that happens, and I don't know this personally, but I see it happen all the time. You see it in Hollywood. Somebody kind of gets big, maybe an athlete. They get kind of big, kind of get a name on them. And that big name, and you hear that name, comes with a bullseye too, doesn't it? Comes with a target. You can't walk around here. This is why people who win the lottery would like nobody to know. You win the lottery and somebody knows your name? Oh my goodness, they're showing up out of nowhere. Remember me. I had a weird interaction yesterday. I was walking at a volleyball tournament, um, watching Allie play volleyball. and I come out of the restroom and there's a lady who's turned around backwards in her chair looking at me, which for me is odd. <laughs> Not a whole lot of oogling going on in my world. She's turned all the way around. She's looking at me. She's got her head cocked like this. I tried not to make it weird. How you doing? And she cocked her head the other way, and I'm like, I'm kind of walking in her direction. She just keeps looking at me. And I'm like, I got, can I, can I help? She says, 
Jared? And I was like, I don't know where this story is going. This is. She says, Jared? I said, yeah. She said, it's me. Well, I could tell that. It's the other part I'm struggling with. Like, what comes after me? Say your name. She said, your cousin. She said, Beverly. Oh my gosh. She said, we haven't seen each other in 24 years. I said, this is weird. You've been counting. <laughs> I didn't tell her that. We sat and had an incredible conversation. It was cool. Joseph's in charge of everything. He's known. People recognize him. Brings a little bit of heat. Potiphar's wife shows up one day and she makes an advance towards him. Joseph gracefully declines. Oh, no, excuse, no, ma'am, sorry, thank you, no, ma'am. Day after day after day, she keeps coming at him. Day after day after day. Joseph finally draws the line. He says, whoa, 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 listen. Your husband has given me everything here, everything here. He's given me everything here. The only thing your husband has not given me is you. This is where the line is drawn, and she grabs a hold of his coat. Interesting theme in Joseph's life, isn't it? Every time you turn around, Joseph's losing his coat. She grabs onto it. He darts. Does that old school sixth grade playground tag game. Remember? Grab your coat. Pull right out of it. Can't catch me. He takes off running. She screams, but she's embarrassed and she's entitled. She can't believe she's been turned down. And she charges him with the same thing so many men are getting charged with these days. Harassment. Of a specific kind. It wasn't hard to catch him. He wasn't trying to get away. He's picked up, some trumped up charges, tossed into the prison, and there he sits, falsely accused, a man who is sold into slavery, although innocent, by his own brothers, put on a cell block, sold, into, sold to a man, now falsely accused of a crime. He is not supposed to be there. And now he's in prison. But God was with him. God was with him. God was with him in the middle of those circumstances. Have you been in that place to where it's just so dark? Something's going on in your life. And then you look back on it and you're like, he was with me then. I didn't know he was with me. I didn't feel like he was with me. I felt like maybe he forgot me. But when I look back, he was with me. And God was with Joseph. Joseph did what Joseph always does. Joseph succeeded in prison, even 
prison, came in as an inmate. One of the crimes that, can you imagine that crime? So what are you in for? Uh, I was accused of trying to hook up with the army captain's wife. What kind of moron are you? It's like, no, I really didn't do it. Yeah, everybody here is innocent. That's true. And he's in prison. And you know what it says? God was with him. And everything that Joseph touched turned to gold. Before too long, he had made friends with the warden. And he was given full reign of the entire prison. And now he ruled over all of the prisoners, so much so that the warden trusted him with everything. Shawshank Redemption. Do you like it? He's trusted with everything. There's a common, there's a, some common traits of people who would come through the prison. Common traits. You kind of came to expect, like, this is what they did, this is what they did. It was just the normal rap sheet for all of them. But one day something different happened. The cup bearer for Pharaoh came into the prison. And so did the head chef. Both of them. Now, this smells of conspiracy if you understand the roles of these two people. If you are the head chef and the cupbearer to the Pharaoh, like, and you get thrown in prison, that's probably because there's some sort of assassination attempt. That's the only thing that this could be. Somebody poisoned the drink. Somebody put something into the food. Somebody tried to kill Pharaoh. Who did it? We don't know. There's only two people who touched the food before the Pharaoh got it, and he got influenza. Who was it? Could have only been these two. Put them both in. And David comes by, and he sees these guys. He's like, who are you guys? Well, I'm the head chef. Of the whole palace. Of the whole palace? You're kind of big time. Says, yeah, what about you? I'm the cupbearer. You're the cupbearer, the real cupbearer? Like the cupbearer, like they pour the wine in there. You give it a little taste. If you don't die, he can have some? Yeah, that's me. Woo, okay. You're kind of big time. We don't get too many guys like you in here. And Joseph handled them personally. Taking care of their needs on a regular basis. Then one day he came down, he checked on these young men, and both of them, dejected, sad, as if their, the old phrase, countenance had fallen. Joseph says, why so sad? And the boys said, we both had dreams last night, we don't know what they mean. Interesting. Joseph kind of has a thing about dreams. They kind of got him in some trouble, but he kind of knows a thing or two about dreams. He said, would you tell me about your dream? And the one says, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you about mine. The cupbearer goes into it. He said, so here's the deal. This vine, it's like a grapevine. It grows up. It's got three branches. It comes off. It's got buds and blossoms and all this. And then it turns into grapes. And, and I grabbed the grapes and I squeezed the grapes into the, the cup of Pharaoh. And then I took Pharaoh's cup and I handed it, handed it to him and he, he drank from it. He said, do you, do you know what it means? Joseph said, I do. 
Miraculously, I do know. I do know what it means. Here's what it means. Within three days, Pharaoh's going to call you out of the prison, and you will be back in his presence doing your job again, handing him his cup. Three days. Well, head chef hears this, and he's like, well, that's not a bad interpretation. Maybe give, give mine a try, toss it out there. Think you, you, you got time for one more? Joseph says, sure, I got time for one more. He said, well, uh, so I had a dream last night too. And he said, it's got me, got me a little tore up. Why? He said, because I don't know what it means. He said, well, well, tell it to me. Okay, so I got three big baskets of bread and I'm balancing them on my head. Joseph's like, okay. He said, and I'm taking them to the Pharaoh. He says, okay. He said, but the birds keep swarming in and eating the bread. You got anything? It's kind of like yesterday. You know, spring has already come. But then yesterday, something else happened. Something kind of gloomy blew in over David's interpretation. Got a little chill in the air. He says, I, I do know. I know exactly what happened. I know exactly what that means. Within three days, Pharaoh is going to impale you on a pole and the birds are going to pluck at your skull. Well, there you go. I got I to gotta get back to work. He looks at the cupbearer before he leaves and he says, listen, if what I said comes true, do me a favor. Promise me. When you get before Pharaoh, plead my story with him, please. Tell him, I'm falsely imprisoned. I was brought here against my own will that none of this is true. My whole life, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Please tell Pharaoh, please. And the cupbearer says, absolutely, for all you've done for me, absolutely, I would love to. I would absolutely love to do that for you. Three days later, unbeknownst to Joseph, it's Pharaoh's birthday. And both men are called up out of the jail. And on their way out, they're looking at Joseph, one smiling, winking, holding his thumb up. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. The other one being drug out like, no, no. Joseph sits by and waits like it shouldn't be long. Shouldn't be long before Pharaoh hears my story and comes down here and gets me. Shouldn't, shouldn't be long. Have you ever been forgotten? In the middle of your trouble, the pain sets in, you feel alone. You're in that place to where you really could use a friend, somebody who could step into your life and say something positive. And you've got people who've said that they would always be there for you, but then you got to that place and it's almost like everybody forgot you. Two years. Two years, Joseph is in prison. The cupbearer failed to remember to tell Pharaoh about Joseph for two years. What happens to the human heart when that much bitterness, when that much misplaced anger begins to set in? What kind of calluses form? Like that of a lizard, a snake, a tortoise? Does the human heart turn into a shell? Something hollow that doesn't move anymore. Just this rigid casing. 
It doesn't take that much for mine to get there. Two years later, Pharaoh comes out of his royal bedroom, wrapped in his royal robe, and he begins to summon magicians. It's a weird thing for him. He didn't do that often. Comes barreling through there, rubbing his eyes, hair's all a mess, beard's kind of sideways. Bring me the magicians. Bring me the wise men. Ordering people around. The cupbearer knows exactly what's going on. He's standing there with maybe coffee. I don't know. Sir, do you? Not now. Not now. Begins to eavesdrop on what's going on. Uh, Pharaoh had a dream. He had a dream and then he woke up and then he went back to sleep and he had another dream. And you know what's crazy about Pharaoh's dreams? He remembered them, both of them. He begins to talk about the dream to the wise men and the cupbearers overhearing it and the wise men are looking at each other like, make something up. You saw what he did to the chef, you know? Cupbearer comes in. He says, look, your highness, I don't mean to interrupt. Did you say something about a dream? He says, yeah, I had a dream. Did you, did, like, like you needed interpreted? Yeah, I needed interpreted. Oh, I'm a bad friend. Oh, I forgot. Two years ago, I forgot. My f- I know a g- I used to know a guy. I hope he's not dead. Like, there's a Hebrew in the prison. I was supposed to tell you about him. Wow, I'm a bad friend. I, I was supposed to tell you about this Hebrew. He-, he actually interprets dreams. In fact, before you almost had me killed and you killed the baker, thank you, by the way, instead, I w- it, was, it was a... He told me that that's what was going to happen, and that's exactly what happened. He's down there, and the Pharaoh's looking at him like, why are you still talking? Get him. I'll get him. I'll get him. So he goes, and he gets Joseph, and he brings him up, and the Pharaoh's looking at him with that scowl, you know, that prestigious, powerful scowl, like, you better have answers, or, and he said, so you interpret dreams. He said, who am I, God? Joseph said, who am I, God? Only God can interpret dreams, but tell me the dream. Let's. See if he's interested. I'm on the banks of the Nile River. There's seven fat cows. Seven skinny cows come up out of the river. They eat the seven fat cows. Okay. You said you had two dreams. Yeah. So there's a stalk of grain. It's got seven heads of grain on it. All of them are great, big, and huge, full, plump. There's another one that grows up beside it, sun-scorched. Looks pretty skinny and unhealthy. The skinny, unhealthy one gobbled up the big one. What do you got? Joseph says, the dream means this. There's going to be seven very good years of crops in Egypt. After that, there's going to be seven bad years. And we're all going to be blighted by famine. And the Pharaoh was just scowling at him like, but interested. And Joseph offers just a little bit of wisdom. You know, if I were you, here's what I would do. I'd find a guy who knows a little bit about reserves. You know, maybe tax the people a fifth of everything that they 
have as far as what they pull in from the crops, put it all in a reserve, and let's do that for seven solid years. Everybody in Egypt does that. Everybody takes a fifth of what they have. They put it in there for seven years. We're going to have quite an accumulation of grain and food, and I think we'll probably be all right, well enough to survive the seven bad years. That's my advice. You didn't ask for it, but there it is. Pharaoh turns around and he says, so does such a man exist? Who has this wisdom to put together such a plan? The room's silent. Well, Joseph, it seems as if you're that man. In fact, here's my ring. Put it on. And then he puts a royal coat on him. Son of a gun. This guy loses his coat and finds his coat more than anybody I have ever seen in my... This is like a sixth grader in the lost and found, isn't it? <laughs> Going home every other day. If you wear your coat, it's at the school. It's my coat's... Lost my coat. Always losing his coat. Always getting a coat. What an interesting, interesting theme. And God was with him during this time. And scripture says, God was with him. And everything Joseph touched turned to gold. There was so much accumulation based on Joseph's plan, they stopped keeping track of grain. The zeros got too many. Not a problem I have. I mean, zeros might be, but that many zeros? The Pharaoh looks at him and he says, with respect to the throne only, you are as powerful as me. <laughs> wow. Isn't it a great story? From the bottom to the top. Wow. It's incredible. But see, all the land was in this famine. All of them. It was so widespread that people were coming from everywhere needing help. Everywhere needing help. And this was his job. He got up every single day with the power of Pharaoh at his fingertips. Do anything he wanted to do. All of, e all of Egypt, land, military, everybody subject to him. Incredible. Incredible. People came from everywhere. One day, as he prepared for the day, he came out and he was handed the ledger of the number of people who were coming to make requests for what they needed. And he began to thumb through the ledger and he's looking at the numbers and he's seeing how much grain has gone out. He's taking a look at it. He walks out and there in front of him are standing 10 men. And he knows them immediately. It had been 13 years since he had seen them. He was 17 years old on the, on, the, on the very cusp of his 18th birthday when he was thrown into a well and then sold off into slavery. And now for the last 13 years, his life has literally been so terrible. And now who stands before him now? Soon as they lay eyes on this man who's obviously powerful, and by the way, he got a brand new title. He's now the governor of all of Egypt. Wow. And he shows up, and when he walks out on the stairs, these 10 men bow in front of him. 
fall down at his feet and he recognizes them immediately. What do you do? What do you do? Now, I'm not going to show off all my humanity and tell you what I would do, but I'm super interested in what you would do. I mean, there's a plus side to being hurt by someone. It's the power. I mean, follow me there. Some of you, you got there quick. Some of you are like, I don't know. That's because she's mad at you. The power. You can get hurt, and then you can leverage that back in such a nasty way, it can trump anything that was ever done to you. You can play the silent treatment better than anybody else. My wife, um, if I say, like, if I get mad at her and I give her the silent treatment, all she does is say, thank you. <laughs> oh, good, thank you. You're not going to talk anymore. It's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. That's good. It's super good. The yelling, the screaming, the ranting, the raving. What do you do? You're in that situation. You have been falsely accused, sold into slavery, forgotten about in the... All because of your own brothers. Your own blood did it to you. And now here you are standing on the steps with all the power of Egypt at your fingertips and your 10 ridiculous backstabbing brothers. Are you impressed I said that without cursing? Those guys all right there in a row? Ha, 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 ha. Let the games begin. This is going to turn into the gladiator like in minutes for me. Put him in the arena. Are you not entertained? Like this is, like we're going to get him. Get him. What do you do? Man. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story. I know that's a major problem, I mean, but you can find it. It's in the book of Genesis. Starting right around Genesis 37. Read through and read that story. Genesis 37. Incredible story. How it ends? Even more incredible. I'll tell you one line from the very end, just one line. And this will kind of spoil it a little bit, but the story is well worth it, well worth it. You should read it. Genesis 37. But when you get to the end of the story, there's this one line, and his brothers, it's this, this, this weird standoff, and they're standing there looking at each other, and they're like, sorry about that thing where we threw you in the well and ruined your life. And Joseph says to them, that's Okay. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. Look at the lives that have been saved because of what has happened to me. Look at the lives that have been saved because what has happened to me. You know what the problem with forgiveness is? That this sermon should be short. Forgive. Jesus said so. Right? This should be a very short sermon. Forgive, or he's not going to forgive you. Let us pray. This is how it should go. 
forgiveness. Unfortunately, that sermon, we're all going to be like, eh, I'll try. I'll try my, I'll try my darndest to do it. I could say to you, do you know that Johns Hopkins Medicine did a study on forgiveness? It's true. People who harbor ill feelings and hold grudges and refuse to forgive other people are more prone to PTSD, severe anxiety, high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease. And those who forgive and let stuff go, they show reduction in cholesterol. Who knew this? I could tell you all that. And you would say to yourself, eh, I'll just take some medicine for the cholesterol. I'll just keep on hating my dad. I could look at you and I could say, here's the deal. Withholding forgiveness to somebody is like drinking poison and waiting on somebody else to die. I could tell you, you could sit around and wait for somebody to come and ask you for forgiveness, but that's just your pride. And all of that energy and all of those cords of human kindness that you have tied up in this debt that you're holding against somebody could be better spent loving the people around you who truly do love you and care about you. I could tell you that, but it wouldn't really matter, would it? Because forgiveness is this weird deal. I say to you, forgive your enemy, and then you say, but you don't know what he did. You're right. So who are you to tell me what to do? Okay, yeah, I get it. I mean, I could say to you over and over, listen, you got to let it go. Oh, yeah? Why don't you let it go, Elza? You could. But you know what I figured out? Here's the problem with forgiveness. Here's why forgiveness is so hard for us. And this deal just blew me away. The problem with forgiveness is the problem with pain. Because pain is the thing that's precious that we don't want to let go of. You see, so long as I have this pain, I can leverage it against you. It puts me in power. I have pain, thus I'm entitled. I have pain, thus I'm the victim. That means I'm on top and now you must be the perpetrator. I now have the pain. And since I have the pain, I'm in charge. That is ugly. Because pain is precious. Pain makes us vulnerable. And if you get rid of the pain, then what do you have? Nothing. Do you know that if you could find a way to deal with the pain part of forgiveness, forgiveness would fall freely from your heart? You have no reason to hold on to it. You have no reason to hold on to somebody's debt if you can get rid of the pain. Our problem with the pain is I don't want to let loose of the pain. You know what's interesting to me is that Jesus made this point so crystal clear. And for whatever reason, I wasn't able to put it together. At the end of the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, God is speaking with the writer, John, and he's writing down all the words and the vision that he sees of heaven. He's writing it all down, and God begins to speak to him, and he's telling him, now write this down, write this down. Okay, what, what, what's, what's next? And God came out, and he said, from this point forward, 
I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people and I'm going to live with them. They're going to live with me and I will wipe every single tear from their eye. And there will be no more mourning. Not on this side of heaven. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. And the last one, and there will be no more pain. You see, if you will take your pain, and you will take it to Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, I'm not asking you to lug your unforgiveness to him and try to, try to pull that down the aisle and throw it at the foot of the cross. You can't, you can't heave that up there. But you can take your pain. You know why pain is such a problem to give up? Because that is the most intimate thing we can share with another person. If you know my pain, now I am very, very vulnerable. And you know what Jesus says? Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Philippians, it says, be anxious about nothing, but in all things with prayer and petition, put your request before God, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you want to get rid of the unforgiveness? Do you want to get to that place to where you can take the unforgiveness and you can offer forgiveness freely to the people around you? Your problem isn't will. Your problem isn't pride. Your problem isn't you know, self-control or just being a belligerent male or female. That's not your problem. Your problem is you've refused to give Jesus your pain. If you take your pain to him, he can clean that up. He can pull that out. He can give you beauty where that is. And then you know what will happen? You will forgive. You will forgive. 